This is episode number 269, Refuting the Motherhood Penalty with Ann Mother's Molly Dickens. Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about how to live a high-performance life, spanning the categories of mindset, plant-based nutrition, and inspiring stories to help you be better every day. We shouldn't allow other people to use this as an asterisk on our accomplishments and say like we are less than because we're a mother. No, we are more than. We are we have value. This is a value add of who we are. Like we are all these things and we're mother. Like it's just another piece of who we are. It doesn't take away from the other things that we are as humans. Our name came out of that ownership. And then back to this narrative, this this myth of how to do both and how to have it all. I mean, one, I hate that. Um, but two, you know, this idea that that you should slow down or you should shift and focus on one over the other or or that they are mutually exclusive like this will change in our generation basically if you're here you're probably really interested in both health and performance and i am super happy that you're here health and performance are very broad topics and there's a lot of other topics that go along with them and that's where today's topic comes in you can be a high performer and you can be a mother There's a lot of varying opinions about what it means to be a mother and what mothers are capable of. And I have personally experienced this as a person who became a mom in 2020 and as a high performance athlete and entrepreneur. Seems like some people are really supportive and really on board with mothers while other people have preconceived notions about what you're capable of once you become a mom or even while you're still pregnant. I've recorded several podcast episodes in 2019 about pregnancy and performance, and you can find those on my website at sanyalooney.com slash podcasts or sanyalooney.com slash blog. And there is a filter you can select pregnancy and parenthood to see previously recorded shows about exercise during pregnancy and stories of other moms and my personal experiences. I have a special announcement to make that goes right along with the and mother organization and everything that we talk about today. Matt and I are pregnant with our second child. I say that in a nervous way because I'm afraid of all of the things that we talk about. Retribution, being viewed as less than, being viewed as less capable, having less sponsorship opportunities moving forward. And I've already waded through these shark-infested waters when I got pregnant with Bradley, my first son. But it doesn't take away the anxiety the second time around, I'll tell you that. And I am just turning 18 weeks pregnant and we are having a little girl. So there is a lot to be celebrated and a lot of excitement there. But there's also a lot of stress um, (laughs) just about what could happen, uh, what could happen in my career. And I'm very excited to race a full race season next year. It's been so hard with the pandemic and the border being closed and not having those opportunities to get out there. And I'm very optimistic about what next year will hold. And it seems like by next year we'll have childcare and hopefully the pandemic and these Delta variants and all these other variants will have calmed down so that I feel safe traveling with my children who are currently unvaccinated. And who knows, maybe there'll even be vaccines for young children by then. So I'm really optimistic about the future. I'm really excited about this. I'm also very excited and relieved to be able to share the journey because it's really lonely to be pregnant and to not be able to talk about it or not feel like you're able to talk about it. 
You'll be hearing more from me on this topic in future podcast episodes and on my social media account, which is at Sonia Looney on Instagram. And I'm on all the other social medias if you aren't following me there. So that's why I was really excited to talk to today's guest, Molly Dickens, who is a co-founder of the Ann Mother Organization. And they are all about saying that it is possible to thrive in motherhood and your career and to provide resources specifically in this moment in time to athletes, but broader to all professional moms so that you can be a mom and you can do other things in your life too. And Mother's vision is a culture where motherhood is not a limiting factor in how women succeed professionally or personally, and where women can openly express their needs and receive support without retribution. And that might seem like an obvious right for women, but it isn't as simple or as easy as it sounds. And Mother is moving the needle in a working world where mothers are supported as leaders and sought after as employees where the value of mothers in the workforce has become intrinsic such that new structural norms facilitate the needs of the modern family. And that doesn't happen very often. There's a few companies who are doing great things out there, but for the most part, there is not a lot of equity for women and for mothers in particular. And Mother's mission is to break barriers that limit a woman's ability to choose to thrive in both motherhood and a career. That is where the and came from. You can be and mother in addition to lots of different things. One of the organization's first initiatives is creating cultural and structural change within the sports industry and shifting the narrative. This week, I sat down with Molly Dickens, a scientist, a writer, an advocate, and a mother of two. Formerly an academic researcher, Molly became a founding team member of a maternal health startup to pursue her passion of empowering mothers. And by co-founding Anne Mother with Alicia Montano, she is continuing to support women and their choice to pursue career and motherhood while enabling mothers to become the driving force behind breaking down a system that has been historically dismissed, undervalued, and discriminated against them. In this episode, we talked about a lot of different things. We talked about why Anne Mother was formed, stereotypes and barriers that mothers face and structural societal issues. We talked about the motherhood penalty, the maternal, maternal wall, and benevolent sexism. We talked about systemic and structural failures that women are up against. We talked about equity over equality for women in the workplace. And we also talked about maternal mental health and what you can do to help. If you're enjoying the show, please rate, review, and subscribe as it really helps it find others so that it can bring them value in their lives too. And if you want to hear from me every single Monday with an article that I write on mindset and motivation, join a lot of other people, thousands of other people. Go to sonyalooney.com slash newsletter to sign up for my newsletter. I put out well-researched topics to help you have more performance and more happiness in your week. And one last thing, I have finally relaunched my website. It has been an eight-month project I hired an amazing company that has done a phenomenal job helping me redo this huge project. As you know, I do lots of different things aside from being a professional athlete. So getting to house those in one place where it's easy to find and easy to figure out what I'm up to and easy to connect with me in a number of ways was a fun project. So check out sonyalooney.com if you want to take a sneak peek at what I've been up to, what we've been up to with this website update. We're well into October and I'm sure you've heard the term sober October. And if you are looking for some delicious non-alcoholic craft beer, 
check out Groovy. They are our podcast sponsor, and I personally drink their non-alcoholic beverages on a regular basis. They have a no Secco, which is a Prosecco. They have a rosé that is non-alcoholic, and they have several different types of craft beer. And right now, I'm enjoying the stout the most because on those cold fall days, there's nothing like a delicious stout. And personally, non-alcoholic stouts, I think, are absolutely amazing, and they definitely can replicate what a alcoholic version of a stout can taste like. So check out Groovy. You can go on their website. You can find them in certain stores in the United States. Give it a try. Let me know what you think. Get Groovy is their Instagram handle and check them out. And with that, let's jump right into today's episode. Molly, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Sonia. This is this is very exciting. Um, big fan. So yeah, well, let's I do learned. This. I learned about Ann Mother uh, basically right after I had my son. And I think it's because you guys follow my account on Instagram, follow me. And I was like, what is this? And then I found it. I was like, this is amazing. Why didn't I know about this when I was pregnant? But then I realized, well, it's because you guys were just getting started. <laughs> yeah, we're babies. We're brand new um, ish. I mean, we we started just just last year in 2020. I mean, what what a year to start an organization around working motherhood. Um, but, you know, pandemic parenting included. It was, it's been a, quite a ride. Yeah. There's so many things that we're going to get into, but first I'd love to start with your background and how you found your way into this because you are a stress, you have a PhD in stress physiology. Is that correct? That is correct. Yeah. I'm a researcher by training. So I'm a stress physiologist. Um, and I was an academic and scientist for um, a long time planning on staying in the academic train, I actually jumped off to join a maternal health startup and was there for a, a good number of years. And um, Alicia Montano and I, my, my co-founder, we're good friends. We met somewhere along the way. And when she, you know, the origin story of, of Ann Mother really came out of her experience uh, as an athlete. She's an Olympic um, track and field runner. And in 2019, she shared her story um, in a New York Times op-ed about um, her sponsorship, her experience with her sponsorship when she wanted to start her family. Um, as you can imagine, it did not go well. And I, what you know, the the goal of really that op-ed was kind of lifting this curtain between this marketing mismatch of how brands will be all about female empowerment and girl empowerment. But the reality is behind the scenes, they don't truly support their female athletes, especially when it comes to motherhood. And her story was, uh, was followed up by Allison Felix's story, who's her stories, you probably heard a lot about it, especially during the Olympics. And what the, their op-eds, you know, one, they kind of thought this is the sports industry, this is our world. But what it really showed, it, it really clicked with women in all kinds of professions. I mean, I've seen a similar theme run through science and academia and startups and tech. And women saw the same story in medicine and aviation in law. I mean, it's, it's a, there's, there's a theme. Um, and we just knew that it was, it was something bigger. And so we wanted to transition that movement that was created around her story um, into impact. And how do we start, you know, starting in sports? How do we look at what are these barriers that limit how women choose and thrive um, in their career and their motherhood? Um, and how do we kind of systematically go through and 
break down those barriers and prove that, you know, the world is better <laughs> when it includes women and women's voices and their contributions. Yeah, I mean, I think that things are improving thanks to people like you, but the like a lot of times people think it's mutually exclusive. If you want to be a quote good mom and if you want to quote have a good career, that you can't do both and there's a lot of judgment that falls on these moms that are trying to lead by example and to do lots of different things and that your identity isn't a solo thing of being mom. There's a lot of different pieces that make up who you are and that showing up for yourself and doing things that are important for your own personal growth makes you a better mom. I mean, a hundred percent, all, all the things, um, so many <laughs> thoughts on, and every, every juicy bit you had in that statement. I mean, I think, you know, we are fed this narrative that one, that motherhood is a career killer or that we are bad mothers for wanting to do more things. You don't see this narrative with fatherhood. I mean, if you no. think about it, it's not there. So why the double standard? Um, and then, you know, there's a reason that we call ourselves and mother. I mean, we, we've been seeing, especially in sports, but you see it everywhere. You see this, this attachment of, you know, a list of someone's achievements and she's a mother and a mother. And at first this was, this always frustrated me and it frustrated us. And, and we we're like, you know what, let's take this back. We let's take the ownership back of this because it shouldn't be this we shouldn't allow other people to use this as an asterisk on our accomplishments um, and say like, we are less than because we're a mother. No, we are more than we are. We have value. This is a value add of who we are. Like we are all these things and we're mother. Like it's just another piece of who we are. It doesn't take away from the other things that we are as humans. Um, and so that's, you know, our name came out of that ownership and then back to this narrative, this, this myth of how to do both and how to have it all. I mean, one, I hate that. Um, but <laughs> two, you know, this idea that, that you should slow down or you should shift and focus on one over the other or, or that they are um, mutually exclusive. Like th this will change in our generation so that the next generation does not even, they look back at us and they're like, why did you think you had to choose one over the other? Like, where, where did this come into play? Like, this shouldn't be, I don't want to, I have two daughters. I don't want to raise my daughters to enter a world where they are just this self-perpetuating, like, okay, well, you're a mother now. And then they mother their children, their daughters to be mothers. It's like, the, I don't want that for my daughters. So why should I want that for myself? Yeah. And I think that just the shifting role of women in society has changed so dramatically, um, I guess, probably in the middle to late 1900s, which isn't that long ago. So the role of the female in the family and in the home and even what females believe they're capable of has changed so much. And it, it's taking a while for the male uh, side of things and, and honestly, some of the female side of things to catch up to this. But I love this organization because it builds so much awareness and empowerment and that gives you the tools to um, be the be a mom and also be powerful and also do all these other things that you want to do in your career. But what are some of the, the barriers and stereotypes that you've seen across uh, multiple industries um, 
against moms or women who are in a career they're doing really well and then they become a mom well i mean there's <laughs> there's a lot <laughs> uh, i well i i think well to step back um this year really especially with um with pandemic and the what that how that affected the lives of mothers and i mean caregivers it's just that caregivers are what 80 90% mothers so more more mothers um it really highlighted a lot of the structural um issues and dependencies that are that are put on mothers that impact how they work so you know the repercussions of this year you see over 2 million women left the workforce this year and most of that was around motherhood um pre-pandemic there were already issues that women faced in place and and it takes on this very subtle uh discrimination practice um there's a thing called the motherhood penalty which comes from sociology research and this research has shown that mothers get um by purely identifying as mothers um they get hired less paid less promoted less um and this is direct in direct contrast to fathers fathers have what is called the fatherhood bonus so you're seen as a good dad versus you know the the overburdened mother um who shows up to work even if you have the same kind of output and the same resume um the other thing that shows up is what's called the maternal wall and this is kind of straight out of you know the space of discrimination it's it's the um this idea that someone somewhere in their head who is making decisions or putting up a promotion or you know um sending you out for a work assignment or whatever it's going to be in their head they assume that you can't do it and so they don't put you up for things and so you're less likely to achieve um the levels in your career that a man might be just because of how other people are laying their own stereotypes and their own assumptions around what you are capable of which oh that really gets my goat <laughs> Yeah, I can relate without the maternal wall piece so much, um especially as an athlete, people saying like, "Oh, why don't you just like training through pregnancy? Like, why don't you just relax? Like, why don't you just kick your feet up?" <laughs> or even I had a sponsor say like, "Hey, we don't we don't they're trying to be supportive and they had all the best intentions and it was just one of those things of and I appreciate the good intentions, but it was like, "Well, don't worry. We don't care if you race." And it's yeah. like, "No, like I want to race. I yeah. want to be out there." Um, and I, like there's people are just trying to be supportive sometimes it's, by putting up the wall, mm -hmm, but it's a double-edged mm -hmm. sword. There is, there is a term that I actually love for that exact practice. And it is called benevolent sexism. <laughs> and the way that I think about it is I think about it as like this, oh honey, because it comes <laughs> from this space of like, I know what's best for you. I know what's best. some man who has never harbored a grown a human in their body telling you Sonia who knows your body very well is working probably very closely with your doctor midwife on what your body is capable of you know what your body is capable of you don't need someone else to tell you what your body is capable of and that is like there i i just always think about it it's like benevolent sexism and it and it's discrimination yeah and there's so much discrimination just in general in the world right now um like women and you know lgbtq and, mm -hmm. and non-binary there's all there's a lot of discrimination happening um but just women in general 
regardless if you're a mother or not, there's mm-hmm. a lot, there's, we don't have equal opportunity in sport in a lot of sports. It's, there's still not equal pay. Um, and the, yeah, the opportunity part is challenging because there's a lot of bias just because you're a female, especially like in male dominated sports, like cycling is a male dominated sport. And if you're a woman who's successful, it's getting better because women are mm-hmm. supporting women. And yeah. I think that's so key, but you don't have as much opportunity as a female and you have to work 10 times as hard as a guy in order to get maybe even the same or less. And then you add motherhood on top of that. And it makes things yeah. a lot harder. <laughs> yeah. Cause I think what it is, I mean, I, and, and I've heard you talk about this and I, and I think that the best word that you used at one point was short-sighted. Like it's short-sighted for brands to not see the value of female athletes, to not see the value of athletes who could or will become mothers. Like there is a lot of value in that. It's almost like unlocked, like, like untapped potential for like new markets. If you think about it from a consumer perspective, like what a great opportunity. It is short-sighted. And I think the thing is, it's everyone, most of the people in the room making the decisions are not familiar with this because most of the people in the room are going to be male or have never experienced pregnancy or have never had, you know, experienced strong women, strong mothers in their world to have that example of what the body is capable of during and through and after pregnancy. Right. And so you know, I think that the thing is, it's, it's how do we continue kind of doubling down and showing the other side of it? And that's why it's so awesome to see you competing, to see other athlete mothers like you competing and to tell that story because, you know, you're succeeding in spite of barriers. So can you imagine how many journeys are lost because those barriers are insurmountable. You know, if you don't have sponsorship support because either you have become a mother or because your body is seen as like potentially bearing a child in the future years, if you lack that support, how are you going to achieve in your career? How are you going to prove that the female body is capable of this on the other side? Um, you know, you see this in stories all the time with these athletes, like everyone is supporting uh, the, the Olympics, especially like you saw all these great stories of motherhood. And it's like, okay, now that we can see the value of highlighting these stories and sharing these journeys and see how excited people are to read and listen and, and follow these stories, you know, can we now talk about how hard it was for these women to even get to this point and for their predecessors who were lost along the way because they couldn't get over these barriers. Um, You know, if you lose your livelihood because you're going to have a baby, how do you pay for the simple things that will allow you to then do your job? Like, how do you pay for childcare if you don't have extra support to go train? You're not going to carry your baby on your back while you're on your bike, right? Like (laughs) you, you need, you need structures and, Um, We're seeing this again, like in this world in general, like all the structures failed us. They were, they were tenuous at best and they failed this year. And as a, as a cost, we lost a lot of women in the workforce and you see it's the same story in athletes. It's just that it's played out so much more silently Um, and it's changing and it's shifting, but 
you know, you pave the way with this narrative shifts leading. And now we can have all the conversations around, see, this is the value. This is why it's short-sighted. Now can we talk about how to actually support women at all stages of their career to get through this and not just try to bucket and only support women who kind of follow, you know, this honestly like male ideal worker situation of just an athlete who is not a caregiver and doesn't skip a beat because a baby pops out of the world. Yeah. And a lot of athletes, um, they retire. They, they say, I'm going to mm-hmm. wait until I have a kid and then I'll retire. And I honestly thought for the longest time, like I wasn't somebody that wanted kids my whole life. Uh, but when I finally decided, I was like, well, am I going to have to retire? Because that's what most, not, not all, but most have done, or they took, took years, years, many years off when their kid was little. And then they came back when their kid was older. And again, not everybody has done that, but there just haven't been that many examples. And I noticed yeah. that it, it's sort of, it's, it's a really exciting time, um, in my sport, because I noticed that there are a couple of women that had kids and made it very mm-hmm. public that they had kids and that trained, you know, trained or exercised or w- maintained a healthy level, what worked for them during their pregnancy, got back into it afterwards. Um, and that, that inspired other women to do the yeah. same thing. And it's hard to be the trailblazer, but it's so cool whenever you see other women who have the courage to 100%. do both and yeah. what, what you guys are doing, um, like you're doing that and you're not, you're not only doing that, you're providing support and helping break down these barriers in across multiple sports. And I'm sure the vision is, is even bigger than that. Yeah. I mean, what, what we want on this sort of narrative shift level is exactly that we want we want women to be able to share their stories and to share that strength and to share the realities of what that recovery looks like and to show what the other end of that looks like. And I think for so many years, you know, there were the women who were going kind of, you know, against the current, but then we're still very um, quiet about what their journeys looked like. And they just resurface and they'd come out of retirement or whatever it was, whatever made them feel comfortable um, because they didn't honestly, because they didn't have the support and they, they didn't want to, we call it show your motherhood. It, they weren't at, they weren't able to show their motherhood without repercussions. And you see this again in other professions as well. You have to hide it um, to continue working in this working world. And Um, you know, I know I keep coming back to this pandemic year, but it made it really hard to not show your motherhood this year when all of us were getting zoom bombed by our children at home. Um, but it's the same thing in sports, like starting to see more and more, uh, athletes show up and show their motherhood and tell their stories and support each other and connect. Like, that's what I love about even starting our platform and starting to share these stories on, on Instagram. Cause it's, it's kind of made the connections and the community so that everyone can see each other and support each other. And you see it in the comments and it's across sports. It's the same story. I mean, one of our athletes, um, Don Harper Nelson, who was at Olympic trials for hurdles this year, she retired to have a baby and then came out of retirement because it was the narrative that she was fed. You have to retire to start your family. And then she still felt good. She was like, well, I guess I'm still competing. So am I coming out of retirement? Like it's crazy when you think about it that way, but that's, that's what you've been fed for a lot of your, for a lot of your life. And it happens in other professions too, of course, but it's, how do we start breaking that down by, you know, showing up and supporting each other and, and being comfortable enough and in a place, honestly, because it is 
not everybody can do this, to be in a place where you are able to to share those stories. Yeah, and I also think it's important uh, time to mention that if you want to retire and you want to focus on being a mom and you like you don't want to have a career and that's what you want, that's okay too. Like you don't 100%. have to be doing all the things if you don't want to. Um, and also like not everybody is able to train during their pregnancy or get back to their sport very quickly. So allowing that space too. And also there's a lot of pressure, I think, um, on mothers. Like I've experienced this myself and I'm sure that if I've experienced it, other people are as well. It's like, you come back, you're, you're like, everybody's watching you like, okay, what's she going to do? She got pregnant. Okay. She's coming back. Oh, what's she doing? Is she, is she any good? Um, and I'll be honest, like I have not raced since I've had my son. Um, it isn't because I had a son it's because of the pandemic and you know, we haven't been able to get any childcare and I live in Canada where the border has been closed and like there just hasn't been the opportunity for me to go. So I have felt like frustrated because I wanted to be an example and I haven't been able to show that example. But at the same time, I also haven't been able to do the same amount of work that I wanted to do in order to prepare, prepare for these races because there's we're un, I'm unable to get childcare. So we're, and we're talking about the pandemic. We're talking about showing your motherhood and how it's, it's really challenging. And I think that for, especially for new moms with little babies that can't just go entertain themselves, like it's added another layer of complexity into becoming a new mom. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, what that highlights is there is a level of complexity and it's not wrong or bad or or you know you don't have good examples and bad examples you have nuance right and you have a range and i think that is what is the hard shift that we have to build around is that this journey does look different for everybody and to have this long term vision of you know how you know the Sonia's back, you know, on her bike and competing, like, yes, your son, maybe he's three, maybe he's four, but like, it doesn't mean that you are retiring. If that's still something that's on your trajectory, like, yes, this was a crazy year and this is an exception, but it's reality for a lot of women, a lot of the time. And so I think that kind of having, continuing to have these conversations and you're still an example, like you're still going to showing up and, and that telling like these versions of the story are just as important as showing up, you know, four months postpartum, like winning races like that, that is one version, but it's not every version. And we need to be able to show all the versions in order to accept you know, what, what reality, the nuance and the complexity of that reality. So you show up on your own timeline. I mean, there is a very, that is the exact reason why, why choice is in our mission statement. It's choice around career and motherhood, your choices around career and motherhood, not the choices of others, not the things that people have put in place to like force decision upon you. Um, it's your choice, whatever that looks like for you. It could be no longer racing. It could be racing four years later. It could be coming back after four months because you had a super easy bounce back or whatever you want to call it after postpartum. It's, it's respecting every type of journey going through it and what that looks like for, for every person who is birthing a human. <laughs> 
Yeah, respecting every journey. I think that's so well said. So we've talked about some of the challenges that women have um, and respecting everybody's story. Um, we haven't really talked about the systemic issues in detail. Can we talk about some of the systemic um, benevolent sexism and any and even just benevolent sexism or motherhood penalties that are happening that that you've seen in research and that you've seen through the organization? Yeah, I mean, I think I think this year again, you know, coming back to to this year really highlighted um, some of the systemic and structural failures that that women were always up against. It's just that this year was the pressure cooker, and so you know, having women as the backup primary caregiver, and then when childcare fails, when schools close, you know, that has a direct impact on, honestly, on the woman's career, where that's, that's what you've seen this year. Um, And, you know, what that also highlights is if we have this opportunity to rebuild this year, where do we go from here? You know, the, a lot of this is built, sorry, built on these stereotypes of the ideal worker. And you can see the stereotype of the ideal worker in the, the, you know, nine to five workplace, which is um, kind of based on that 1955, like white man with the (laughs) woman at home, you know, in the kitchen, taking care of the children. And it's 2021. And we still have the same structures in place for how the workforce goes to work. And that doesn't work for us. Like this year showed that doesn't work for us. And if people are hired, based on their fitting into that box of ideal worker, that's not going to work for us. Um, Again, same thing with, with athletes. If the value of an athlete is based on, you know, the concept and the stereotype of the ideal worker for an athlete, you're looking at, you know, the back to that male athlete who has nothing else going on in life that could affect how they show up and train and compete. Right. And that's not the reality. And how do we start breaking down that as the stereotype? Because I think a lot of it comes into stereotype. And then, you know, the other issue of, of why the stereotype has so much sway is that you have this kind of weeding out and this dropping out of women moving up through the ranks and into leadership positions. And once you have a, an industry that's dominated by one core mindset based around a core stereotype, they are making decisions that affect other people's lives. I mean, that is what goes into this benevolent sexism that you experienced. Um, They don't know all the stories and it's uh, kind of on us right now, unfortunately, but we'll be the trailblazers, right? Um, Of showing what are the, where are the gaps and they're not hard to fill, right? They're, there's some key things that you can do that will be supportive and retain women and and see their value and have their value add. And so I think that, you know, it's changing industries that are male dominated and getting more women and more diversity, honestly, in general into um, leadership positions to be able to bring in every journey rather than allow this stereo- these stereotypes uh, to persist. 
Um, I mean, structurally, of course, <laughs> you can go very broad and talk about um, paid leave and childcare issues. And, you know, that has been really highlighted this year in general, like that, that's critical for how um, women and caregivers succeed in their careers and continue into these leadership positions and have that um, trickle down back into um, where, how decisions are made. Yeah. So I'm hearing changing, um, the way that the leadership team is made up at a lot of different organizations so that there's more variety of experiences in the room to advocate for different types of people. And I'm also hearing that as a society, and I also think in some ways the pandemic is, is helping with this. It's also hurt it, but the nine to five structure of you need to be in your chair from nine to five with no exception, um, in order to be a quote, good worker, uh, changing that structure so that it allows for space for mothers and fathers to be there for their kids, but also be productive at work and have a little bit more flexibility so that they're able to do both. Yeah. And I think, again, it comes down to this, this value, you know, what is the, the, the value of the, of humans and the contributions of these humans. And it extends beyond their ability to have their butt in their seat from nine to five. Like that's insane if we think that is what brings value to and a productivity and productivity, <laughs> right? I mean, Sonia, like how much more efficient with your time have you gotten since having a child? Oh my gosh, it's insane. Like I, I only have a couple hours a day to work, but I get, it's amazing how much I can get done in such a short period of time because there's so much focus. And that's what yeah. we ultimately want. Like people want to feel more focused. They want to, they get more fulfillment out of concentrated work. So if you become a mom and well, or a father, I'm trying not to yeah. you know discriminate against the dads, but if you have less time, you actually can get so much more done. And what organization doesn't want somebody that's efficient with their time? Right, right. I mean, four, like if you have a four hour chunk in the day, I can promise you that that four hour chunk of my day is far more productive than a 10 hour chunk of someone who's just like newly out of college and just like, doesn't know how to organize their time. Like, no, we are hyper, it's a superpower, a caregiver superpower that when you have four hours or have whatever your chunk of time is, you make the most of it. Like you just power through. And I think that that needs to be appreciated more is what you bring in your time rather than how your time is divvied up during the day and how, you know, whether that's a metaphor, it could be metaphorical button seat. It doesn't have to be physical, although it often is. But yeah, there is a lot of value for how we pack in um, a lot of work into a little bit of time because we know how to prioritize. Yeah, I, I see a challenge with companies that value billable hours or someone's trying to make partner and it's all about like working tons and tons and tons of hours and how how that would work with mothers and fathers i mean yeah i think you can you can kind of extend out the the general umbrella to to caregivers if you will um and i think that that's kind of the the space that we need to get to is to see you know this equality uh you know across the board with how we um address who, you know, how people do spend their time. But yeah, I mean, I think, gosh, it's, it, it's, it, it just, again, goes back to your word. It's short-sighted um, to kind of pin it into this corner. Yeah. And something that I have been thinking about and a conversation with a family member, it was, he, he said something like, well, if women get pregnant, 
they have to take time or, or they have a baby, they have to take time off. And then we have to pay them as an organization to take time off. And compared to a guy, you know, they're not breastfeeding, they're not taking care of an infant, you know, assuming a, a typical gender construct type of relationship. Um, so it, women aren't as valuable and women shouldn't be given, you know, equal opportunity because they're not showing up equally as a man in the workforce. And I heard that I was like, ouch. So what, like, what do you say to that? And especially as a, as an athlete, like some, some athletes compete while they're pregnant and some, some people are able and have the desire, but a lot of people aren't able to do that as well. So if you're an, a professional athlete, well, now when you're pregnant, you're not competing. And when you have a baby, depending on how long it takes to recover from that birth, you may or may not be competing. And then if you're not getting support to train or to be able to even go to a race, well, then you're probably still not competing. So yeah, it's like the men don't have to do the same things with their body that women have to do. And yet um, there's discrimination expecting a woman to do exactly the same thing as a man. But is that even a fair expectation? Oh, so wow. Yeah. <laughs> so many thoughts there. And I mean, this is one reason why, why I lean more towards using equity over equality, because if you do think equality, um, it kind of goes to, all right, well, let's meet in the middle here. You know, like, can a woman perform like a man? Can a man have the same time as a woman? And it's, it's different. Like there is a physicality involved and there is a physical recovery involved, especially for athletes. And yes, that, that window of time, um, will be different. Like, do we want to encourage more men and non-birthing partners to spend more time with, you know, a, a newborn or with an adopted child with whoever, you know, is coming into the, or just caregiving in general. I mean, it could be at any point. Um, do we want to encourage that? Yes, we do want to encourage that. So we want to make sure that that is available, but it's still not, you know, the reality for women is, is there is this physicality. And I think this goes back into that, that, uh, that short-sightedness it's, it's that, that value it's so, okay. So you're saying that if a woman cannot fit into the box, your neat little box that you have built for the male worker that our contribution or our value or, or what we bring to this team, this brand, this company, this profession is not worthwhile long-term. I mean, I think about this as from my science background, you know, I had my daughter, my first daughter, when I was a postdoc, and this is this window of time in science, um, especially academic careers where you're between graduate school and then you're preparing to go on to, you know, be a professor um, and stay in academia. And it's also defined by like, you have to produce, 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 and write, 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 and get grants and get grants. And, and you know, what happens is it's also like perfectly lined with when you want to have a baby. And so that also doesn't work as well with producing, 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 writing, 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 writing grants. Right. And so what happens is you, you do see this, you see, you know, especially in biology, which is, my background, you know, it's like 75% of PhDs are women. And then tenure track position is like 25% women, which mm. there's a huge drop off in this window of time. And what my experience was, was that I wasn't by, I, I was on, you know, in fellowship from NIH and like the maternity, I'm doing air quotes, but it's a podcast. So no one can see me, but the maternity policy 
was so vague and so unsupportive. And I kind of had to make my own way with the time that I wanted to do. Um, and the, the message that it sent to me was that my value as a scientist is less than because I want to have a baby during these years. So the long-term, like this, this is a fellowship that is supposed to support me to be a scientist forever for like the rest of my career. And because I cannot write, 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 produce, 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 and get grants, get grants, get grants during this three-year window of time, my long-term value to science is not worth it. And like, that's, it's the same kind of question. It's like, why, yeah, why should I pay you to have a baby and physically recover from that childbirth? And like, oh, those four months, 18 months, two years, that's such a burden on society. It's like, is it though? Because there's a lot of value on the back end of that, of me getting through this time period and contributing afterwards. Why are you completely discounting everything that I have to give? I mean, we're, we're young, like <laughs> whether you have a baby when you're 25 or, or 45, like you're still at the prime of your career. You still have more to give on the other end. Why do we put so much focus on supporting women during this small window of time and the burden that that is on us to like get through this with her? It's, it's crazy when you think about it on the lifetime of a career. Yeah. And even, um, you know, you can still do things if you can't write, write, <laughs> yes. write, produce, produce, yes. produce. It's not like right? you're just sitting there with a kid on your boob yeah. for like in your brain rotting. Like there's actually things exactly. that are, you can actually do things and you yeah. can still be learning and growing. And I honestly think that taking some time where you step back, like people take sabbaticals in academia yeah. so that they can yeah. step back and having that time to step back actually gives you perspective. And it also 100%. helps prevent prevent burnout provided that you're not trying to like still do the nine to five and not have support and, and, and so yeah. there is, there is value in that to help, um, bring different perspective and also taking breaks isn't a bad thing. And it's cause you're not actually taking a full break. Like you're still using yeah. your brain. <laughs> yeah. And it's healthier. Like give yourself the time you need to come back to full health and to listen to your body rather than have someone else dictate what your body needs to do for them. You know, you know your body. What does your body need to come back? And your body, that includes your brain. That includes your mind. Like we need to talk about mental health of this all and maternal mental health. And it's that's a huge part of recovery that is not as well respected. Um, and, you know, especially like as a stress physiologist, like, give them the time they need, give them why put this pressure. It's just going to make it harder. It's just going to make them less healthy by putting all these expectations, putting uh, incorrect and false assumptions on someone when they know best what they need to have a longer career trajectory than you kind of trying to make them force into your timeline. So has there been any, um, research or studies that show the long-term financial gain of having mothers, you know, working. Cause we're talking about like, there might be a year or two where you can't do as much as you were, but there's still long-term gain to be made. And I can see businesses saying, well, this affects my bottom line. If I have to all of a sudden have all these women that I have to pay and they're not here producing and, you know, I got to show my boss like, or this athlete isn't, isn't racing or isn't, isn't going to as many events. I have a bottom line here. So like, yeah. Yeah. Is there anything that you've seen about that? 
Oh, I, I need to dig into that. That's that's I'm sure there are some business cases out there. Um, people have been talking about the benefits of of diversity in general um, in the workforce. And as you can imagine, there's only good benefits of having diversity, especially around the table um, in offices. Um, with you know, athletics, especially, you know, I think one of our goals eventually, whether it's it's sooner than later, um, remains to be seen is how do we demonstrate that value for brands? You know, I think again, like I said, we're starting to see that door crack open, um, especially with a lot of the stories that came out of the Olympics. I mean, you saw, you know, for anybody who is watching um, track and field trials, you know, Allison Felix and Kanara Hayes like brought their kids out onto the track and everybody was so excited about that. And, and that was kind of a first, like that was, this year was really different for the stories of motherhood. And so I think having that, that door open to kind of have that conversation of this is, this is, it is good to have a mom on your roster. Like you want to have many, if you can on your roster. And like, then what it takes to have that is all these other things. And you should have, you know, certain contractual language in place to protect pregnancy. And you should have, um, you know, accommodation uh, to allow for the space and choices around motherhood. And you should consider, you know, the physical recovery of, of birth for those who are birthing. And, uh, you know, there's all these different elements of how to support, but I think having that conversation or having that kind of business case to be like, it makes good business sense. We live in a capitalist society. I'm not going to deny that, but yeah, being able to make that case would be, would be huge. And I think we're already starting to see progress towards that, um, in athletics and, you know, especially anecdotally, um, that's been huge and whether, you know, how that kind of transfers to research is the next level. Um, but you do see, you know, the benefits of diversity, uh, in the working world from, from the research for sure. Yeah. And I like some of the things that and mother is doing to put policies and things in place. Like you mentioned, helping athletes with the contractual language around having a maternity clause, which I can say, and I've never had that in any of my contracts. And if I'm being totally honest, it's a little bit shameful, but I've been too afraid to even ask Uh huh. 100%. Um, mm -hmm. because like, what if they say, Oh, you want that? Oh, we're not even going to sign with you. Like, we can't even talk about that. You're, you got the Scarlet A on you forever. Like, <laughs> the, I guess it would be the Scarlet P, but <laughs> Yeah. And yeah. then like you, you guys have talked about, I've heard you on other podcasts talking about like just generally having spaces for women to breastfeed and also mm -hmm. having childcare at events and things like that. Just those are structural issues that can encourage more women. Like and generally the conversation is we want more women in sports. How yeah. do we get more women in sports? Yeah. Well, you have to create an environment where it's easy for the women to show up to the sport. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. And I think you know, for us, it is one, this, this narrative shift, like we talked about, but with the structural issues, it's what are the best practices? What are the best practices to get women to continue in sport and to support women and their choices? Because cho again, it's a choice. Some women might have want to have babies, some might not. They're probably going to be discriminated against, discriminated against either way, because when someone hits a certain age, you're like, well, she's just going to have a baby. So do we sign this? Um, and so with contractual language, like, yes, we know there's, there's a lot of hesitation and reservation around getting that kind of language inserted. So the first point for us is just having publicly available language around that. And we're hoping we're doing, working on that this fall 
Um, but then the next level of that is how do we now take this type of language, lead by example, have those who are able to get it in contracts um, use it, but then get to a point where this is just standard, <laughs> standard language in any contract at any age for any gender, like this is just and any caregiving status, anything like so that you don't even have to ask for it. Like, what does it look like to have a world where this is just part of, yes, this is just, it's just standard. It's in there. You don't even know it's in there. Similar to, you don't even know it wasn't in there. Like, it's just standard. It's in there and you're protected. And it's just a normal process of, of how you sign athletes. And so you don't have to ask for it when you are, Ooh, now I'm kind of thinking about having a baby, but oh, I got to revise the contract. And then all of a sudden you just, yeah, you put, you put a big red flag on your head. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think it's important to include um, the narrative that like paternity leave is also something like women generally it's way harder for us, but there are fathers who want to be a primary caregiver or yeah. they want to take paternity leave or, um, you know, in different like non-cis couples, like having that available. But just, yeah, just having these conversations and being open-minded because there might be people listening who are like, screw that. I don't think women deserve <laughs> to have equity and, you know, whatever, whatever. But just having these conversations, I think, is important. And I also think it's important for men to be having these conversations because it's easier for women to come up and be like, rah, rah, you know, this is all the things happening and it does make change. But having the men come to bat for the women, especially in rooms that women can't get into, is really powerful as well. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I, I, you know, I think that that's, that's part of the equation. Like we need both sides. I mean, gender equity needs to go, it needs to go both ways. Um, I think especially with, you know, non um, traditional, I guess, caregivers uh, and how it extends out, you know, the other thing that you're seeing back to things, the pandemic highlighted. Um, the other thing that it really showed was that workplaces expected mothers to downshift and take care of kids that were at home, but they did not expect fathers to downshift. And so the pressure was actually for fathers to, to go back to business as usual in, in many cases, whereas the mothers were given more allowance and space to have that downshift. And that's a problem too, because, you know, that takes away from in, you know, it adds this extra tension in the house of whose place of work allows for the caregiving space. And if it's only the mother's place of work that allows for caregiving, and it's not the father's place of work that allows for caregiving, who's going to be the caregiver for this at this kind of time? Um, and the same thing happens with, with sports. I mean, a lot of athletes are partnered with athletes, right? And so if you kind of get into this primary, secondary caregiver narrative where, you know, one person has more expectation and space to be primary and the other person has expectation space to be secondary, but secondary doesn't get anything, then how is the primary caregiver going to, going to come back into their career? And so kind of having, again, that, 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 I mean, it's not oh, going back to equality and equity. It's, it's having space for, anyone and in, and in, in, in the nuance in that choice, um, it'll all kind of serve this greater objective of, of gender equity and equality. Yeah. Like allowing space in the 
for men in their jobs where if they want to be a supportive role or they want to at least contribute, even if they're a secondary caregiver, if they want yeah. to contribute so that they can support the primary caregiver who's often the female to um, to still work and to maybe they can't work as much as the as the secondary caregiver. But if there's space for that, then that allows for the quote mom, assuming these are all women, um, and they usually are, but allowing for that mom to have some space to to do the things that she wants to do in her career or in her mm -hmm. life. And that, yeah, it sounds like the systemic changes that need to happen aren't only for women, it's also for men. Yes. <laughs> yes. And, and I think it's also, how do you, how do you model that at home? Um, because how we model it at home plants the seed for the next generation. And so every generation we can impact, you know, I think, um, I, our, our house, we're pretty well balanced at home with what our daughters see, um, in terms of who's doing a lot of, you know, the, the cooking versus cleaning versus the mm -hmm. I mean, I'm the messy one at how, at our house and my husband's following me around tidying up. And so my girls see that and I'm like, I'm just going to lean into this messiness. No, I hope <laughs> he's totally listening. And I'm like, Oh, okay. But you know what I mean? I mean, it's, it's also how we model and how we reflect what we want, the world that we want our kids to grow up in. It's, it's all these small, all the little things add up. Yeah. I think that it's just important to say it's, it's not one conversation that, that changes things. It's, it's millions of small conversations that compound to change things and just making sure that we're aware of the choices that we're making. And as a couple, like the things that we're seeing, what we're modeling to the world that helps make change. And a lot of times we feel helpless, like, Oh, a, a drop in the bucket, isn't going to make a difference. The systemic thing is so big. It's so much bigger than me. I can't make a difference, but you can make a difference and you yeah. and mother is making a difference. And like, how can people support and mother? And if they want to make a difference, how can they be a part of this? Yeah. So we are, um, our kind of primary channel these days is, is Instagram. So we are and mother underscore org on Instagram. Um, same handle for Twitter. And our website is andmother.org. And, you know, we are a, a 501c3 nonprofit. So donations are always um, appreciated. But, you know, so is awareness spreading. So, you know, joining the conversation on, on Instagram is, is key in how we support each other and how we see each other. Um, you know, we're kind of running with this show your motherhood hashtag. It's, it's you know, this continuing to emphasize that, you know, if we kind of do these things in the dark, like we're not um, proving to the world that like, this is part of who we are and this is where we're showing up. Um, I think the other level, you know, that that's kind of the next unlock is back to these little day things. You know, it's, it's part of our effort is on really shining the light on these structural and systemic needs. Um, but, you know, something that, that you pointed out, um, with events and how to best support mothers at events, you know, whether that's childcare, whether that's, you know, lactation space or um, support for breastfeeding. I think uh, anyone who is able to speak up on behalf of someone else or make change in their own workplace, you know, you can kind of be part of this almost everyday advocacy of how do we change our own world around us to better support the mother showing up. So um, while I would love, you know, 
anyone who wants to support Ann Mother's work to donate, that's a huge part of it um, so that we can keep doing the work that we're doing. There's also so many opportunities for people to, you know, change the world around them um, and be very vocal advocates if they are able to, because some women are not, some people are not, I mean, men and women, um, be vocal advocates and, and step up. You know, if there's a, someone coming back from maternity leave and she, you know, she might may or may not be breastfeeding and pumping, like set up a lactation suite anyway. Like how is your lactation space just so that she can come back to it? You know, how is, how are people being supported around you? Do you have a friend who just had a baby go help, you know, well, depends on your COVID protocols, but you know, hold, hold the baby and help her out and see how she's doing. Um, you know, on a broader level, we're kind of addressing this, what do you need elements to kind of address and see these invisible barriers and break them down. But everybody has an opportunity to do something similar in their own, in their own world. Yeah. The ripple effect of really small actions truly do add up. Mm-hmm, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I think that we touched on some really heavy, but really important <laughs> topics, um, food for thought for people, um, things that people might disagree with, which is always fun. Um, but I think that talking about these things is so important to move the needle and have a conversation with someone. If you're, if you're listening, even, even if they're, if you're like not agreeing with some of this stuff, like it's so important to have a conversation, not even to be right, but just to understand where somebody else is coming from. Yeah, definitely. Wow. Thanks. Thanks for tackling the heavy topics. Anya. <laughs> My pleasure. Thanks again. I hope you enjoyed that podcast episode. And man, we covered a lot of different topics, maybe some that you've never even thought of before. So if you know any other moms out there or just families who are supportive of other women, this extends past women, make sure you share the show with them. Make sure you share the and mother organization with them so that they can be aware that this organization exists. And if they want to contribute, they can do that too. Thanks so much, as always, for sharing the show with your friends, either just by word of mouth or by taking a screenshot and tagging us on social media. My team and myself and the guests always appreciate getting to see that. We love getting to connect with you and see what resonated with you in every single episode. Don't forget to subscribe to my weekly newsletter, which I work super hard on to bring to you an article every single Monday on mindset and motivation. And I'll see you right back here next week. And don't forget, I'm with you on this journey of personal growth, adventure, and our mission to be better every day. See ya.